I'm Dr. Tagrid, your friendly child psychiatrist. And this is a space for young people, families, and professionals who want to understand neurodiversity and mental illness better. I'm here to help you make sense of the most complex of issues in the simplest of ways. Let me walk you through topics that are important to you, from autism to trauma and from depression to self-harm. In this podcast, I'll bring you expertise, explain the science and equip you with practical tips and knowledge. Join me, Dr. Tagrid, your friendly child psychiatrist, for 30 minutes every Wednesday on all listening platforms. Hi, let's talk about anxiety in children under the age of five. Now, there are two things that you need to know about children in this age group. The first thing is that children generally, but particularly under five, find it very hard to express their feelings. Not just because verbally it's hard to find the words, but even children who are advanced verbally and can find the vocabulary to describe their feelings lack often the abstract and understanding the abstract reasoning, but also lack the insight, the ability to look inwards and label and analyze emotions in that way. So children in this age group tell you how they feel through behavior rather than through words. The other thing that is very important to understand about this age group is that they are sponges. This is an age-old kind of analogy, but children in this age group are great in mirroring and echoing what's going on in their environment. So these are the first two things that I'm going to preface this whole discussion with. Now, today, what I want to talk about is what is anxiety in this age group? Why do we tend to see anxiety in this, in this age group? And when do we call it an illness? When does it become an illness? And how can you clock if your child has anxiety? And lastly, what can you do about it? So let's start off with talking about anxiety in itself. And if you've heard the episode about anxiety, you've heard this bit that I um, that I always say around it. But I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna go at this from a different angle, from a developmental angle. Anxiety is at its core fear. It's fear, and we are all born with fear. It's a normal emotion. To be free of it is to be dead. And there is no reality where we expect a child to grow in this world without that sense. Because fear is protective. Fear stops us from putting ourselves in danger. Fear enables us to instinctively understand threatening situations. It enables us to survive. And we are born with fear. We are born with fear along with other emotions like sadness and happiness and anger. And as we develop, as we grow up in safe environments with safe and loving carers, what we learn is how to 
understand and live and fine-tune these emotions. We start to understand what these emotions feel like physically in our bodies. We start to understand what they are called, the emotional labeling. We start to understand what they mean, how they relate to things that happen and events around us. So the skill of knowing that I'm afraid now, I'm anxious now because, um, you know, I heard a dog barking really loudly. That's a skill because I can detect the link between an internal emotion that's happening in my internal space and an external stimulus, something that's happening outside of my body. And just detecting that I'm actually afraid is another skill. Detecting that the beating of my heart is not me being ill. This is a, a sense of fear. Detecting that my stomach hurts is not a stomach bug. It's a sense of fear. So the ability to differentiate different body sens bodily sensations and linking them to emotions is a skill that a person develops from the moment of being born and into adulthood and up till the day that we all die. And once you've understood how your emotions feel and how they link to your environment, you start to understand how you react to them and how you should react to them. So you start to understand that, oh, okay, so a sense of fear means a fight or flight response, right? Or it can mean freeze. So what do I need to do in this situation? This is what my body will tell me to do. What do I actually need to do in this situation? So if I am facing a bear, what I need to do in this situation is to actually freeze. But if I am facing uh, an approaching car, what I need to do is actually run. If I'm facing uh, an attacker, what I need to do is actually fight. So, so the ability to understand what to expect from your body in these situations and then regulate, manage how you react, that's a different whole set of skills. And then the ability to emotionally regulate, the ability to stop yourself from spiraling. So the ability to stop being late in the morning from ruining your entire day, this ability to, to, to extract yourself from negative emotional states, the ability to move your, your focus into something more constructive, the ability to find safety and grounding and solace in certain things is very important. So we grow in these skills. We're born with the raw emotions and the panic and the fear. And we develop the skill set to manage these raw emotions. And we develop these skills through a lot of things, through modeling, through direct teaching by the caring adults around us, by input from the environment around us, by the safety of the, of the environment around us, and then through life by self-development, right? So in this, in this age, you know, under five, you're dealing with someone who's in flux. You're dealing with a human being who's still learning to make sense of all of these emotions. And it's absolutely acceptable for children as they develop to experience anxiety, right? And a heightened state of fear. When does it become concerning is when it is 
inconsolable, when it's easily triggered and very difficult to contain. And obviously the more severe ones is where it actually starts to interrupt with their life, starts to interrupt with their play, starts to, start to affect how children um, manage to go to school or affect how children receive parenting or affect how they manage um, the relationships with peers. So the on the more severe end, you see children not attending, you know, their nursery or not able to sleep or not able to thrive, not able to eat, not able to play. You see the very clear signs of deterioration and impact on their functioning. And in the kind of moderate end of severity, you see that this child is struggling to receive parenting. They're struggling to engage with their parent and bond with their parent and play with their parent. They're struggling to, to bond with their teachers. They're struggling to make friends. A child who is struggling to engage fully with the world because they're in a constant state of fear. So, so as a parent, I think when you know, you know, when you know that your child is going through something, you know, and it's very important to listen to your instinct with these ones, because especially in the under fives, you don't see, like I said in the beginning, you don't see the clear, oh, mom, I'm scared. What you see is upheaval in everything, just unrest in everything. So you see children um, becoming more fussy with their food or eating less or being more um, stubborn, being more difficult, being more oppositional or being more withdrawn or being more aggressive. Sometimes children will present with completely physical stuff. They'll say tummy aches happening more frequently, illnesses happening more frequently, actual illnesses, not faking, you know, because their immunity is affected by all of the anxiety and the stress hormones in their bodies. And, and you see a lot of um, aches and pains and complaints that you can't really track down. Why is this child in pain constantly? And there are things that you might notice, things like the a need for structure, a need for routine, you know, completely falling to pieces if your expectations are not being met or if your, you know, your plan for the day is not happening the way that you wanted. That, that feeling of distress easily being triggered is very telling. And what is important also to keep an eye on is Things like nail biting, things like, you know, kids who are usually dry by night becoming um, starting to bed wet or a delay in the nighttime dryness or a delay in toilet training or a delay, general delay in anything that requires a bit of, you know, um, management in that sense, self-management in that sense. Sleep problems are very common. So kids to find it difficult to, to wind down for bed or find it difficult to stay asleep. So coming to bed to, you know, to join mommy and daddy in bed is a common one. And uh, things like night terrors or sleepwalking become more evident. Even actually the bedwetting bit is related to the drop in the sleep quality because kids who can sleep properly tend to find it hard to wake up to, 
to go to the toilet. So you see that bedwetting thing happening. And I see a lot of kids, you know, later in life, you know, when they're like eight or nine and the parents say, you know, they've always been um, bedwetting and we've sought advice from uh, urologists and then you track it down and you find actually at the core of this is anxiety at the core of this is is a sense of unrest but let's think about why this happens like why do more why do some children become anxious and some not well there is a lot of stuff that affect how we um develop there is a there are there's a lot of theory and I'm not going to bore you with all of the theories, but there's a link between nature and nurture here. So we know that if you're a warrior, if you're somebody who's on the, uh, you know, to use an ancient term, neurotic, you know, somebody who's a bit high-wired uh, high or uh, high-strung or, or somebody who's a warrior, you're likely to have a child who is a warrior. Now, why is that? Why is that is what there's a lot of theory about. There, there is some thinking that it's probably genetic. And we know that some children are just born with a certain temperament. They're fussy babies. They can't sleep properly. And it's probably genetic, but I'm not sure that um, it's just that. And a lot of theory talks about are our genes affected through our, our family story? There are some theories that talk about how generational trauma affect our genetic composition. That, for example, families who'd gone through um, large or uh, really huge traumas affect the, the very nature of, of, of how they become, they changes them as people. And it probably changes them at a genetic level. And think about evolutionary wise, like, you know, some behaviors that we develop under trauma or under threat, we develop in a way that is meant to keep us alive. And it makes sense that our DNA would respond to that to keep our, you know, offspring alive in that sense. So there is that genetic element and there's that element of passing down of threat passing down of, of response to threat but also there is something to do with nurture with children watching us converse with the world watching us set the tone for how the world is expected to be and and it's important to, to think about how we show our children um, what the world is. And I always, um, sometimes I give an example of myself, but I'll give you an example of, um, of something that I caught myself doing recently. I caught myself telling my children about the stairs. I have always had a fear of stairs. And and I noticed that my kids have a fear of stairs. And I couldn't really clock it. I thought, you know, initially I thought, oh, oh, this is genetic. This is, you know, possibly just passed down because I can't remember actually showing them that or, you know, 
making it clear that I'm afraid of stairs. But then I started clocking myself. You know, I started catching myself holding their hand or, you know, telling them, oh, you know, st stay close to mommy or, oh, careful, you're going to fall down the stairs or, or careful, you know, you're going to slip or, you know, try, trying to protect them in a way, but that made it very clear that actually stairs are not safe. It, it was, it's, when I started catching myself, it became very clear that this is the message that I'm implicitly giving. Um, I have not actually said to them that I'm afraid of stairs. I have not actually said that um, stairs are scary, but I've behaved in every possible way that shows them that, scare, that, that stairs are um, unpredictable and uncertain and scary. And try to measure against that that example a lot of things in our life so if this is the message that you're consistently giving your child because you worry about the world because you have beliefs about the world and being unsafe in certain ways or about the environment being unsafe in certain ways whether these beliefs are um, your own or handed down by family or uh, results of actual current threat and trauma if you're in an abusive relationship or if or if you're uh, under threat in any way or if you're in an unsafe environment or an unsafe neighborhood or you're in a war zone or under a financial threat whatever that is current or previous or that's affected your viewpoint of the world that stays. You might not actually say that to your child directly, but you're going to behave in ways, you know, that, that, that make that clear to them. And that's protective, you know. Originally, this ability of children to absorb and echo and mirror our behavior is very protective because think about it. I mean, like, from my viewpoint, stairs are scary and unsafe. And what I've passed down to my children is that um, fear and cautiousness about something that I've perceived in my environment to be unsafe. And if you're thinking about how this developed, you know, when we were in the wild battling uh, predators, this makes sense because like, you know, if I'm behaving like lions are unsafe, yeah, of course they're unsafe. Of course it makes sense that I should um, teach and train my kids to be scared of lions. So there is an element of kids being genetically predisposed and there's an element of kids watching their environment, watching their parents, watching their significant adults behave and trying to, to emulate this and absorbing this as reality. We tell ourselves stories about the world about whether the world is safe or not and one day I'm going to I'm going to tell you my um my example of that, my personal story around the world being unsafe and unpredictable. And if you look in, in your life, you probably are going to find a narrative of how you view the world. And this narrative probably didn't start with you. It probably started with your parent and with their parent. So when I looked back at my story, it probably started as far as time. It probably started in the 1920s, you know, with my grandparent being a kid herself. You know, it's, 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 it's funny when you look at the stories that we tell ourselves 
and then the stories we tell our children about the world. And they believe them. They believe our stories. And, and I see a lot of kids who come, for example, saying, you know, I'm worried that my mother um, will die. You know, I worry every time she goes to work. I worry every time I'm at school. I worry that she's going to die. And it's such a bizarre thing. I mean, why would your mother die? She's perfectly healthy. She doesn't drink. She's fine. Why are you, why is, where is this worry coming from? Why is it in a five-year-old, you know, or why is it in a six-year-old? And you dig and you dig and that fear is not that six-year-old's. It's not theirs. It's not theirs. It was never theirs. It was actually someone in their environment. It was actually the mother probably. It was someone who's very significant to them and they just absorbed that fear and echoed it and, and magnified it. And it became very clear in that, in, you know, in, that, in that space that they allowed the emotion to appear. It became very clear that fear and that anxiety where the adult was masking it, the child magnified it and made it very clear. So anxiety can come from a lot of things. And it's important also to remember that our minds exist in our bodies and that children under five do become um, unwell. You know, they develop hormonal problems, which can cause anxiety. They develop um, anemia or vitamin deficiencies, and these cause anxiety. They develop all sorts of difficulties around uh, their health, and that can also trigger anxiety and trigger depression. So it's important to keep an eye on their physical health. And then lastly, think about the developmental stages. So anxiety can be very developmental. It can be kids going through difficult patches in their lives and it's absolutely expected and normal for them to feel anxious and to feel patches of, of difficulty. You know, so for example, kids around the transition, the famous one in this age group is the transition from nursery to, to school. And it is so important to think about how massive this change is. While some kids will sail through it, some kids will find it very difficult. And then I always say to parents, you know, let's just analyze this, just break it down for me. What has changed? Things like, you know, who's doing the drop-off, how many kids are in the class, um, the best friend being lost, or, you know, uh, the teacher changing from male to female or female to male, or instead of having two, three teachers in the room, there's one teacher and they don't get along with that teacher. Things like, you know, the teacher is too loud or the teacher is it keeps changing or uh, the space is too bright or the space is too dark. So sometimes it's something very environmental. And you can clock in the 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 trigger, especially in school holidays. If your if your child is is feeling better around school holidays, then okay, then maybe that's related to school. Maybe that's very much related to the environment. If if the child becomes more anxious around certain things, so for example, a common one is difficulties in the marriage or in the relationship of the parents. This is a very common one because. Parents think that they can conceal things. They think that if we um, fight, even in a closed room, that that will not affect the child. But think about if, if you're going out with your friends and your friends are fighting, you know, they've left the table and they've stepped out and fought and just come back. You can cut the tension with a knife and it's, 
it's the same kids kids get that in the same way they understand anxiety and they understand the the, the stress that you bring into the space with you whether it's because you're unhappy in your relationship or if it's because you're unhappy at work or because there's a point of contention or struggle around money or mental health difficulties whatever it is that's happening in your life that echoes into your child and it's important to be aware of it because what you don't want to do is to push it under the carpet because if you don't talk about it openly then you're missing an opportunity of how your child sees you manage this. So for example, a common one is, is parents arguing, right? And a lot of parents will say, oh, you know, we just, we just say, you know, it's nothing. It's fine. It's fine. Nothing happened. It's fine. We're just talking. No, you're not just talking. You know, you were not just talking and your child gets that. Therefore, but they get it. They get it because they understand what it is to squabble. And you need to acknowledge it and you need to acknowledge what you are doing about it. So for example, okay, so daddy and I have been squabbling. Yes. And I'm sorry I shouted or I'm sorry I've, I've behaved in this way. Let's you know, make it up. Let's cheer each other up with a hug, or I'm gonna give you something um, to 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 eat or drink or show kind of positive emotion and repair. So modeling that repair is very important. And equally, if you're dealing with your own stress, so sometimes people, you know, as parents, we all don't want our children to witness us struggle. So people tend to mask. People tend to go like, you know, mommy's not crying. Mommy's fine. But you're evidently not fine. You're evidently not okay. And your child doesn't understand what you mean when you say you're okay. It's very confusing. It's very uncertain. You know, it's very uncertain. It's very anxiety provoking when, when grownups do things like that. When they go like, oh, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. When it's clearly not fine. So... What I always advise is actually, no, you know, to tell the truth. You know, mommy's been stressed. Mommy, mommy was feeling really stressed. And what sometimes mommy does to help herself is wash her face with some cold water or have some space in her room or listen to some music, you know, model how, even if you're not doing it, you know, sometimes it's helpful when we say it out loud to our kids, when we try to model how we self-regulate, even if we're not doing it actively, you know, nobody's the perfect picture of self-regulation but you have to say and model these things to your children and try to uh, show them that actually you know it's absolutely normal to feel rubbish sometimes it's absolutely normal to feel afraid and uncertain about certain things it's it's absolutely fine to fall out with people in your life and, and to have stress and to be worried about going to work and to be worried about going to school and, and you know, wake up and feel like, you know, I really don't want to go to school today. That's absolutely fine and normal. And we deal with these things, you know, we deal with these things with, with looking after ourselves, with having space, with listening to music, with distracting ourselves, with thinking about positive things that the day is going to bring, with with yummy breakfast or with, with things, you know, we, we self-regulate and sometimes it doesn't work. 
And even then it's important to acknowledge it because what you're doing is you're modeling to your child how to manage their anxiety. And, and literally that is the treatment of anxiety in this age group is parent training, is supporting parents to pick up on these things in their children and in themselves. You know, this is the treatment, is trying to manage your emotions and, and trying to co-regulate. This word is very pivotal in this age group's co-regulation, is the ability to contain your child and to teach them about self-containment. And in order to do that, you need to be in a space where you're well. So if you're struggling, get help. Get help for your child. If, you, if you're putting it off because, you know, I need to prioritize my children. I need to look after my children. I don't have time to get therapy. I don't have time to look after yourself. This is for your child. For your child. Do it for your child if you don't want to do it for yourself. Because this is the treatment for kids who have anxiety is supporting the environment, supporting the caregivers to be able to co-regulate, to be able to model positive anxiety management, is to be able to stabilize the environment in a way that supports these kids. And for the more, for the more um, advanced situations, sometimes play therapy is something that's very helpful. In this age group, there's very little talking, like I said originally. And what we do is use a lot of play. So the same way that I tell parents, you know, dedicate 10 minutes a week to play with your kid, to give them that sense of stability. You know, 10 minutes a week, literally. It can be as little as that. But you need to dedicate any time, some time where you make eye contact and you talk and you do things that are containing and you do things that allow your child to communicate with you through play and through their behavior. What are they thinking about? What are they worried about? Sometimes, you know, play watching, watching them play, how they interact with their toys, what they, what games they make up, what stories they come up with is very telling about what is going on in your child's internal world. It can tell you a lot about what's going on in their school. If somebody's, you know, bothering them, what's going on in their mind? What are they worried about, you know, at home? It might be something that is completely out of your radar. You know, I've seen a lot of families where they were like, you know, we have no trouble in our marriage, but the child is here thinking their parents are getting a divorce because they've overheard them, you know, talk passionately about things or squabble like, like couples do. And they go like, you know, our relationship is perfect. There is nothing there. Where is this coming from? But it's coming from the child's interpretation. And then there is a vacuum. There's a vacuum. There's a gap in communication. There, there hasn't been the space for the child to clarify. There hasn't been the space for the child to see any um, evidence of something else that would, you know, make them feel more comfortable or, or put away these anxieties. So how would you know? How would you know if you don't have the time, the protected 10 minutes a week with your child where you can pick up on these things or you don't have the 10 minutes a week where you observe them play and see what they're thinking about, what they're not actually verbalizing to you, but channeling through play. So this is this has been a bit of a, a quick kind of, you know, uh, tour in anxiety in children under the age of five. 
it's very important. It, um, I can't stress this enough. You are the expert on your child. If you feel like your child is struggling with anxiety, get help. Get help as early as you can, as soon as you can. Sometimes when we pick on uh, when we pick up on anxiety, sometimes it opens other um, avenues, and we think about developmental difficulties. We think about uh, learning problems and dyslexia, things like that. Very, the, the earlier you get help, the better. And the better in outcome as well. And the most important thing, and the thing that I keep stressing, is put your oxygen mask on first as a parent, especially in this age group. Put your own needs, sometimes your own needs need to be prioritized because that's how you're well enough to look after your child. This has been anxiety. In, in children under five, we've talked about the what it is, what it looks like. We've talked about the treatment for it and how to manage it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining me today. Remember to check the show notes for helpful resources and support. If you enjoyed listening, subscribe to our channel and get notified about the latest episodes. This is Dr. Tagrid, wishing you well.